Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hi, welcome back to our podcast, The Ugly Truth About the Girl Next Door. Um, I'm Lori. Oh, wow. You started this time. I'm Kate. (laughs) Look at how so excited I am about that. I know. And this This, is only our third time starting over. Third attempt. Yep. Third attempt. Yep. Okay. So what are we talking about today, Kate? So today we are kind of talking about, not kind of talking about, we are talking about the concept of family control trafficking and how it's different from um, a lot of the other types of trafficking. Um, we are talking about this because I have, we have heard, and I think that people are still struggling to get their mind around this type of trafficking. I think it's one thing to hear a story about someone who had a long history of sexual abuse. It's one thing to hear a story about someone who, um, was abused by their parents or by their family, Um, But when you throw that word trafficking into it, it kind of sends people like just they don't know what to think about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we just have a really hard time imagining that people who could who are capable of something so horrible could be walking around among us like normal. Yeah. We think that they have to surely they would have to be like unhinged. Right. We've said that before. Right. But they're not. Right. So what makes. Uh, what makes this particular type of trafficking um, family controlled? So it's specifically when the trafficker is a child caregiver, right? A parent or a guardian of some kind. Sometimes it's foster parents that we hear that that happens. Sometimes it's biologic parents. Sometimes it's another family member who is given responsibility for the care of the child. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, when the trafficker is the caregiver, the caregiver is literally making money and setting up the events. Right. Sometimes the caregiver is complicit. And we've kind of talked about that before. Maybe making money, maybe not directly making money, but they're making the child available. Right. So one of the things that struck me recently, like I don't know why it just came so clear to me recently, but I don't know if we can, as a society, think about child pornography being a thing, we know that it is, or we can think about child sex trafficking being a thing. Then if we can think about a child being put in a situation where they're being forced to do those things, we have to ask ourselves, then where the hell were their parents? Right. Like no child is in that situation without the caregiver somehow being aware either they're aware like because they know where the kid was or somehow they would have to be aware that the child was not okay as a result of these things. So somehow we, we divorce those things in our mind, I think because we just cannot fathom the idea that a parent would allow that to happen to their child. But yeah. I think the way that people do that though, is that they assume 
that those things are happening with only like abducted children or older kids, teenagers yeah, who, who are who have choosing. run away from mm-hmm. home or and that's right. I guess where we get into this this sticky area of understanding family controlled trafficking versus you know trafficking that looks like a kid who ran away from home becomes homeless finds a trafficker who he's now dependent on, you know, whatever. Um, but I think that's, I think, yeah, people divorce those ideas in their head because it's like, well, the little kids that are involved, you know, that have are forced to do those things, they're probably just abducted children. And honestly, right. that's what people think. <clears throat> right. Or they're, they're refugees or yeah. it's like, right. But right. That's not true. But that's not true. That's statistically, that's just not even close to being true. And I think part of the problem is that the people that we're trying to address, the, the good people who would not want this to happen, you're not looking at child pornography. Right. So you don't realize that these are like typical kids. White, suburban, yes. middle-class kids. Yeah. Right. You're not looking at foreign nationals. You're not looking at, um, yeah. Right. But good for you. You're not looking at child pornography. Right. Absolutely. So you're going to have to take the word of the people who are professionals in this area and know no, it is not. Ju- it is not foreign nationals, and that's right. tragic. We're not minimizing the fact that that's true, but we need people to realize that it's happening in your backyard. Well, and just that when they hear the word trafficking, it doesn't send them flying or thinking, "Well, that can't be," um, just because it doesn't look like what what their assumption is. Right. Um, people already struggle to kind of get their head around, like you've said before, how people can be walking around, um, you know acting normal, looking normal, being all the things and secretly sexually abusing their child. But then you add this element in and it's just, it's like, nope. <laughs> right. Right. They're, it's like the fracture that happens in their brain. It's like, why I can't, I can't get my head around that. And, or that's too much. I can't think about that. It makes me too sad. It makes me too whatever, which I get, but you know, the survivors don't have the privilege of saying that's too much for me to think about. So those of us who care about the survivors, we don't also get to say that's too hard to think about. I'm not saying don't take breaks. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll cut that because maybe that's too harsh, but I don't know. I get it. I get that <laughs> no, it's hard to think, think about, but yeah. I think, you know, we we have to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We really, you know, want to affect change. Right. Um, yeah. So I think one of the concepts that's important to register is that you know, by definition, trafficking is about force, fraud, or coercion, right? So a child, by definition, (laughs) is under someone else's control, force, fraud, or coercion. Like they're tricked into it. They're manipulated their minds. We're going to talk a lot about kind of how that looks in family controlled trafficking. But um, we understand that in terms of labor trafficking, right? Mm -hmm. And also other kinds of sex trafficking that, you know, maybe it's a person who thinks they're getting a job as a nanny and they come from another country. And in fact, what they got hired for is sex trafficking Mm -hmm. Um, or you know, so we understand it also, like somebody who is desperate to get out of a war-torn country agrees to a labor contract and, but it ends up being this, like this cavernous debt that they can never climb out of. Um, we understand that and that there's force and fraud and coercion that's involved in that. But again, I think we have a hard time thinking about the fact that by definition, a child who is in a family who is trafficking them 
is under a way bigger pile of force, fraud, and coercion than even a typical person would be. Right. And I think the reason that those are the things that come to mind when we talk about trafficking is because that is what is out there. That is what even the professional organizations, you know, the not-for-profits, the people that are that are in the anti-trafficking movement, that's what they're putting out there. And that that's because that does also happen. There are homeless teenagers who get looped into trafficking. There are, you know, women who have a boyfriend who traffics them. There, there is all of that too. But I think that's why is that there's this, this huge gaping hole. Um, and what we're putting out there as far as the anti-trafficking mov- movement. Um, and so that's why those things are, those are easy to understand because that's a well-known thing. So maybe this is a time to talk about the process that we went through to get to a place where we were even calling it trafficking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, a lot of people ask me um, or have asked me, you know, um, how did I, like what happened that you kind of like the, the mold got broken, the seal was broken on the boxes. Um, and we do talk about this briefly, but, um, basically I had a daughter, I was like living in these two worlds, just boxes separate, boxes closed, pretending that my life was not that. Um, and you know, and whatever it was, I was healed. I was healthy. I was moved on, um, because the boxes were closed and sealed and, you know, never to be (laughs) seeing the light of day again. But then I had a daughter and the seals broke and the boxes started to open. Um, but when I initially, it took me almost a year before I even reached out for any, you know, professional help. Um, and then when I did, you know, I first met Lori and I started telling her about the things that were happening to me, but I was still just calling it, you know, sexual abuse, which it was, but I was just saying, you know, yeah, I was sexually abused by this, you know, whatever. Okay. Anyways. Um, but so I started sharing, you know, just details about the, and it it all started with just like, okay, we got to process the details. We got to, you know, that, but the more that came out, the more that I shared, it was like, oh, but so it was, it was this person and it was these things. And then also was, yeah. And then his friends or, you know, other people would come and they would pay for it. Um, and it was just, it came out in these small, like, again, I didn't come to her and say, So my story is that I was trafficked. (laughs) Like I had no awareness that that was what it was called. I just knew what happened to me. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't have a term for it. Um, So Kate started talking about, again, over a long period of time and in little tiny nibbles um, about other people beyond an uncle and the people that have had been named um, and people paying for it. And I started asking questions like, um, so what happened when you went home? Seems yeah. like an obvious question, right? So a kid is at that point, we were talking about an uncle. So kid is abused by the uncle. Uh, my assumption is that child is not going to go home and just be like, Hey mom, went to the zoo today. Like everything's fine. That there would have been something not okay. Like, so I started asking questions. So who noticed that you weren't okay? So I got to just interject here that whenever anybody has ever asked those kinds of questions, including when you were asking those questions, it is, it activates this fear, this like absolute terror of like, 
why are you asking me that? Like, don't ask that. That's not an, like, I don't know what happened when I went home. It doesn't matter what happened when I went home. Don't ask that question. Don't look over there. Um, so how do you explain that fear? Well, I, I can now with the whole of the puzzle. Right. Um, but it was literally like, that is a box that we are never going to open. So don't even ask, why are you asking that? Um, for a lot of reasons, it, it's because don't look over there. Don't look in that box. Don't open it. It's also like, if you open that box, you're not going to believe me. Um, or you don't believe what I'm telling you because the whole puzzle doesn't make sense. And so that's, it was always just like, just don't ask that question. Why are you asking that question? That's a stupid question. I would never say that to you. No, sometimes <laughs> it was implied. <laughs> it was a little bit. Yeah. No. No. It doesn't sound like me. So it was very, it was a very gentle, slow. It was like one of those, I mean, in my mind, this is how, what I was thinking is, okay, I can like drop this little like, hmm, I wonder how it is that you went home in that condition and nobody noticed that you weren't okay. Hmm, okay. Then we would move on until we were really able to get to a place where it was so clear and we were at a place where I could, and I did start to say, listen, if you were in that kind of, if you were injured in that kind of a way, your parents were either criminally negligent that they did not realize that you were not okay or they were complicit in some way. There's no other explanation that makes any kind of sense. Mm -hmm. But that was after a very long period of time of me thinking a lot of those things like, I mean, seriously, what the hell? Like, how but is I, it possible? So can I just comment though that I don't, um, I'm trying to think about how to phrase this. You press that button because you believed all the things I was telling you and there was a missing puzzle piece. Not like mm -hmm. unless you name your parents in this, none of it makes sense. Right. Because there's a difference there. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm getting at? I do. I do. And your, your fear and your assumption actually, because this is what they always told you, was don't even bother trying to bring the stuff up because no one's going to believe it. Mm -hmm. And so when there would be even the slightest questioning from me of like, wait, how did your parents not realize? Mm -hmm. I had to be really careful to make sure that you knew that that wasn't based on, oh, okay, well then I don't believe your story. Right. That it was based on, I knew that there was more. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's the difference is that you already believe that the things I was telling you were accurate and true. And, you know, going back to the how I know episode, it was just that there was a missing piece. Um, I think that's important. It say. is important. It is. Um, so you might want to zone out for this next little part. Okay. okay. <laughs> so recently, um, someone who knew Kate in middle school and high school, um, brought her some letters that Kate had written to her in high school. I think it was the letters were written in high school. Um, and in these letters, Kate talked about some of her abuse experiences. Um, one specific letter, um, this is just so hard for me to even say, this is why I'm saying it because Kate can't say it. Um, but in the letter, Kate described being eight or nine years old and being taped to a chair and being sexually abused in her bedroom. 
And at that time, Kate's, um, what she was telling people, we've talked about this at length, like she would say that it was this person and then, oh my gosh, everybody would freak out, even though it was that person. And then she would talk about another file and file cabinet. But at that point, Kate was only talking about an uncle. Um, but we need to be able to put together to say like, how is it possible that a parent would not be aware of their eight or nine year old daughter being taped to a chair in her bedroom and being sexually uh, assaulted? Like that makes zero sense. The only possible explanation is that there had to be a caregiver involvement. It makes no sense. Um, it's that kind of stuff that we have to be willing and able to put those pieces together and say, there is only one rational explanation here. And it is not that Kate isn't telling the truth or that she's crazy. The only rational explanation is that there are bad people doing bad things. And some of them are yes, parents. Yeah. Those letters, honestly, reading them was, um, or like knowing about, you know, some of them was, um, again, that feeling of like, I've been saying the same stuff for decades. How come, you know, how, I don't know, <laughs> not to be like whatever, but I just, yeah. I mean, to, to read some of those things and to be, to feel like I came in here, I forgot I even wrote those things. I forgot I even told that person those things. And then to have come in here and told you the same thing. It's just, again, those, the validation and the confirming what I already know, but it's like, I've been fighting, fighting to, I don't know. Yeah. And it, the, and this is why we're doing this episode because you've had to fight through this in part because people could not conceive of the fact that these things could happen. So when this person got that letter, it wasn't even on her radar screen. She had no context for understanding how, what you were telling her. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, maybe if more people do have a context for that, it will be easier for a child to tell Yeah, and easier for a child to get help. Easier for a woman to come forward and say, this has been my experience. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. yeah. We have to be willing to see this. It's horrible to have to horrible. I just said that like that was from New so Jersey. Weird. That was so New Jersey. Oh my gosh. Is Jersey Lori coming out? Can Nobody needs not? to see that. Nobody <laughs> needs to hear Jersey Lori. Although every once in a while she needs to come. Every once in a while. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I know. I've actively worked at getting my O's correct for Western New York. Okay. Anyway. What are you like a news anchor? You're like trying to. <laughs> My diction must be correct. <laughs> the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plane. Everybody knows that. Oh my god! I actually okay. didn't, but okay. You don't know the rain. In Anyways, Spain? Um, my fair lady. Okay, sorry. My squirrels. You know that I haven't I watched know. that. I know. Is it a so thing you watch? We have watched. I haven't watched in a long time. My fair lady. No, I'm asking. Like, is it a movie? Is it music? You don't like... even know what My Fair Lady is. No, I'm horrified. I know. Audrey Hepburn? No? Oh, okay. sounds great. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Don't make me sing now. Okay. Like, Good thing we enough. broke it up with a little <sighs> joke because, you know, life's too heavy sometimes. So I, I know we talk about this all the time, but please realize we need to do that too. Yeah, we because sure do. Because if you think that it's hard to listen, please know that it is hard to do this. Yeah. 
it's hard. I mean, I feel like such a wimp. It's hard for me. I can't even imagine how it is for you if we didn't break it up with a little bit of levity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's so there's so much fallout to doing this, but yeah, but we're doing it. Yes, <laughs> we, we keep are. going. Yes, we um, are. Um. Yes. So yeah. So just I guess yeah that idea that that. I, I came into Lori's office. I started to tell her my story. I did not put the the label of trafficking on it myself um, because I too imagined all those things like brothels and dirty trucks across borders and all of that about trafficking. Um, and it wasn't until literally years of processing and sharing my memories with Lori that, um, that you then sent me information about familial trafficking. And when we, when we, when I read the information, it's kind of like reading those letters. When I read the information and it was like, I'm sorry, is this person talking about me specifically? Like, um, it was like this wave of just, oh my God, like, oh my God, this is like putting a name to the experience. Um, I don't, there's not really great words to describe that, unfortunately. Right. Very confusing. Like, horrified and also validated yeah all entangled at once like and also terrified because i got very scared that if i said that like if like now i have to turn around and call it that to my husband um sitting down with his parents and being like listen this is like what my past is um and this is what it's called it was terrifying i was so scared that i would be called um, dramatic, like trafficked. You weren't trafficked. Um, you know, like that was what I imagined people would say, because again, I know what people think of when they think of trafficking, because I thought the same things. Um, so yeah, it was, and I, and I think that that was true. I mean, there are people in my life who we shared this information with, it was not received well. And I think in part it was because of that, word it was because it was like there you were not trafficked like stop you know um, i do think that that was part of the chapel's difficulty in i agree responding. absolutely i mean the chapel could have just done a quick google search but right. <laughs> you know probably worth a google yes. um <laughs> but yeah i mean i remember saying to you at the time i almost wish that we'd left the word trafficking out of that initial letter to the chapel because I think it made it harder for them. It's definitely. Yes. Yes. And so I think that's, yeah, in part why this episode is super important. Um, But I definitely think, you know, I mean, even the initial letter um, to my brother, you know, who is on senior staff at the chapel is um, we included slides of information that we had found, you know, that we had gotten from another survivor um, putting her story out there to help him kind of wrap his mind around it. And still it was like, no, <laughs> no. Um, and that was my biggest fear. Once we put a name to the experience, it was like, it was this feeling of like, yeah, that's what happened to me. And I wasn't the only one. I'm not the only one. Other people, they even have a name for it. Like these other survivors, other they even have a name for it. And like, I, that is what happened to me. Um, but it was also just terrifying because it was like, how do I even explain this? How do I, how do I, yeah. And we still, you and I have to navigate through those waters regularly of the fear that somebody is going to convince me that it's, oh wait, no, it's not actually true. 
Yes. Which I will say and say and say that there is no shot that that will ever happen. So let me just say, I, yeah, a little spicy today. Please, everyone understand, you don't get to tell us how to do this really hard thing. Yeah. So anybody who is out there thinking, well, that's not appropriate, or it, it, even if you're feeling like, how could it possibly be true that these terrible things happen if you're joking about it? Look, mm-hmm. until you have walked a mile in Kate's shoes, you do not get to say how she should walk through this. Uh, one of the Instagram people that I follow, my influencers, <laughs> just kidding, um, defend survivors. They post frequently um, a thing that says other people don't get to tell a survivor how to survive. Um, and that's basically <laughs> that's basically what I'm doing. So thanks for sticking with us um, through this episode about what makes family-based sex trafficking somewhat unique. Um, this was part one, so make sure to come back next time and um, we'll talk a little bit more about the research about family-based sex trafficking versus other types um, and kind of the high level of what the system looks like, what's working, what's not. So make sure to like us on Instagram and share us. Thanks. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.